Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Welcome to the fifth quarter for another week. It is Lucy Race here. It's finals eve for AFLW season six. We have six teams still in the running to be crowned premier and we're full of anticipation for what the final series will hold. But in another instalment of why we can't have nice things, we are also dealing with another COVID curveball with Collingwood unable to field a team and their match against Brisbane now postponed. Meanwhile, eight teams have had their silly Sunday they return to work on Monday and it's time for the end of season reviews. We wanted to bring you some real footy chat for this week's fifth quarter and for that we couldn't go past a conversation with one of the best footy analysts in the business, friend of the pod, Siren co-founder, sports broadcaster, Gemma Bastiani. So I'm going to give her a call now. Lucy Race. Gemma Bastiani, how are you? I'm great, busy, but great. All all good things other than, you know, pandemic. And you're juggling heaps of footy stuff, I would imagine, at this pointy end of the season. Uh, yeah, just looking at a lot of finals matchups, looking at what each team's strengths and weaknesses are going into finals and trying to will Melbourne over the line before I jump ship away to the Swans. <laughs> Well, there's a lot going on. Thank you for joining us today. We really just wanted to have a bit of a footy chat and I love talking real footy with you, Gem. I mean, yesterday we were actually on a call when the news broke that the COVID outbreak had really taken out Collingwood's playing group. That game was going to be postponed. So have you had time to get your head around what that's going to mean for both of those teams? It's so tricky because you don't want to extend finals because we've got two teams that are sitting on the sidelines who have earned a break but don't want too long a break because then you kind of lose your momentum, lose that sort of stuff. So Melbourne and Adelaide are sitting there kind of wondering what's going on. Probably Melbourne more in particular, given the winner of the game that has been postponed is who they are due to play. The midweek games have worked during the season. They've worked to an extent around part-time jobs and those sorts of things. It is tricky, but I've got to be honest, watching football during the week has been a joy. But again, I don't have to juggle it around six other things in my life. So I just don't know how they structure it to give everyone a a fair chance at finals, especially given Brisbane's season to date. They're the only top six team who has had to deal with a postponed game and a condensed fixture this year. None of the others Mm -hmm. have. Obviously, Collingwood now are feeling that. But it's just, it puts up the question of fairness. But it, we kind of knew this season was going to be whichever team could get through 
with as little interruption as possible. Unfortunately for Brisbane and Collingwood, that interruption has now come at the worst possible time. So look, it's a little hard to preview that match properly because we don't know what the team selections will be. But what are your top line thoughts about that game when it does go ahead? How do you think it's going to play out? I think that Collingwood have found their groove in the past couple of weeks because they found spread away from the contest. So if you watch particularly that Richmond game, but the Western Bulldogs game as well, they were able to get players working really hard to the open side. They were able to spot that up. So they were cognizant in their back half that they wanted to find that open player on the on their open side and get the ball moving forward that way. And through that, they got their inside 50s up and they got their shots at goal up. Against better side so Brisbane I don't know that Brisbane are going to be as lenient for them to get that player out like that so Mm. I wonder how they combat that whereas Brisbane they've come from behind a couple of times to really uh, put some damage on the scoreboard they have such an even spread across the park the one big question about Brisbane probably is against the side with a big contested marking forward how are they going to go without Kate Luckins? Because we saw what Melbourne were able to do to them through Taylor Harris. Taylor Harris had seven contested marks, which is the equal most in, in competition history. So against a side that has that marking forward, Brisbane probably needs to find another strategy and Collingwood needs to find a way to deal with maybe not being able to get players out the back like that. The thing that always strikes me when I watch Brisbane is how many different options they have for goal and just the strength of pretty much like this team offence. How does Collingwood really try to defend against that? It's so hard because you look at who's kicking the goals. Obviously, Dakota Davidson, Jesse Wardlaw and Taylor Smith are the key marking forwards, but they haven't been as damaging as they may have been last year because it's players like Greta Bodie and Courtney Hodder that are really hurting you. And then you think about a Conway and an O'Dwyer who are starting on the wing and getting forward and kicking goals. And then you've got Emily Bates, who's coming from the midfield kicking goals this year. It's all about territory, I think, for Collingwood. They, they want to launch their attack out of the back half It's very risky to do that against Brisbane, who have controlled territory this year. Collingwood just needs to be very conscious of those smaller players and that pressure. So winning uncontested ball in their back half to launch those scores will be really important. So who gets your tip? Brisbane, I I can't look past Brisbane. Even with delays, even with interruptions, they they handled it last year perfectly and are doing so this year as well. So can't go past Brisbane. Hmm, I think I might have to agree with you on that one. And look, we do have another qualifying final going ahead and honestly I can't wait for this one. North and Frio are going to meet on Saturday afternoon at Arden Street. What should we look out for with this particular clash? So many things. So these two teams have played each other twice in AFLW history. Uh, North Melbourne have won both of those games by a combined 11 points. Oh that's tight. (laughs) Yeah It might look bad in terms of the win-loss, but the reality is both games have gone very much down to the wire. Frio got Kiara Bowers back last weekend, who missed four games through suspension and a knee injury. Bowers played 60% of game time against the Suns and had 18 touches and 17 tackles in 60% of game time, which is absurd. So that pressure game, they've always been a good pressure side, but with her on the side, it feels more effective in a way. So that will really impact that, that midfield battle. We know that North can win a lot of possessions in the midfield, but they're not necessarily doing a lot with it outside of that. Add to that 
Janelle Cuthbertson coming in back for Fremantle is massive, especially with the the form that Talia Randall has been in recently. Cuthbertson's the perfect sort of defender to go up against her. She's strong. She reads the ball really well and can compete with her in the air. And then you've got an Anya Tai who can go with Emma King in that respect. So I really like those defensive matchups for um, Fremantle. North Melbourne haven't shown that they have a, a second plan when they can't get that uncontested control of games. So teams are letting them get that uncontested control in the back half. And then as soon as they try to transition into the forward half, they shut that down with pressure, which Fremantle will be the perfect team to do that against North. So I think that the the trend of wins is going to change in this one. So you're tipping Fremantle. I am by probably five points. Not not a big margin, but I think Frio are in the best possible position to beat North. Oh, there'll be some excited people. It's going to be a great game. I really can't wait for it. Can we ask you to look into your crystal ball and give us a prediction? So based on your tips, we would look forward to a preliminary final between Adelaide and Fremantle and one between Melbourne and Brisbane. Who wins both of those and who are going to be in the grand final? This is the hardest possible question. Assuming injuries and and COVID doesn't continue, Mm. it really pains me to say that I think we're going to see another Adelaide-Brisbane grand final. Yeah. My heart just visibly broke then. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be really, it'd be so hard to tip against them because... They both just find a way, don't they? I, I don't know if I said this before, but I can't tell you how upset I am that the ladder has fallen in a way that we can't have a Melbourne-Brisbane grand final because that mm. would be the ultimate dream, I think. But yeah, I can't see Freo beating Adelaide. I can't see any team beating Adelaide in that prelim. Okay. Well, we're not going to hold you to it. Maybe we'll just Good. hold you to it a little bit. So I'm still out of cheer for Melbourne if they do win? Absolutely. Okay, it's AFLW. Good. We cheer for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> So, Gem, eight teams are done for the season. I thought it'd be really interesting to just ask your thoughts. Basically, give us a bit of a review on who you thought exceeded expectations this year, who didn't quite, and and who kind of plateaued, who stayed the same. Where do you where do you see everyone ending up? Yeah, so I think it, this is a really interesting way of doing it because in AFLW, because the season is so short. And the structure of preseason and the structure of contracts and all that sort of stuff, it's really hard to expect a team to make a really big leap in the space of one season. So it's good to judge them on where we probably expected them to get to. I think um, who exceeded expectations, I think the Western Bulldogs, and uh, I had really high hopes for them preseason, but I think I may have been one of very few, if they hadn't had all of the issues that came up, so they had COVID, they had serious injuries, they had the condensed fixture, if maybe one of those things hadn't happened to them, I think they would have made finals over Collingwood. Mm -hmm. So I think they exceeded expectations in the face of everything that they they had to handle. Gold Coast, I think, absolutely did. When mm. when I saw that they lost both the Levi's, both of the Levi's would be playing rugby, so inactive from the AFLW season, I was like, that's it, they're winning the wooden spoon. I was so bullish on them before that happened. But the way they came out and were able to grind out games and score very quickly when they needed to was super impressive. Obviously, that wasn't consistent all the way through the season, but they showed what they are capable of when all that comes together. So they definitely exceeded expectation. 
And then Geelong. Geelong were the third one. The Cats are such a frustrating team at times because they so easily revert back to what we know of them from last year, which is the long kick out of defense, just desperate, get it out of my zone kind of play. And that appeared a few times this year. But when they switched off from that and onto some running footy, some territory control footy, they actually look like a really dangerous side. And and Chloe Shear had to work up to a fitness level to be able to play more in the midfield. But, you know, next season, she's going to be super damaging being able to run through there more. Phoebe Williams, she might be the oldest player on that list, but she is unbelievably good in that forward line. Kate Darby coming back in. There's all these little things that you absolutely love, and I think they absolutely um, exceeded my expectations this year. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Trent Cooper, and you're listening to my equal favorite podcast, The Outer Sanctum. How do you think they, those three teams, how do they maintain that momentum going into the next season? Is it all about retaining players? I think retaining players is a big part of it, but also getting people on the same page for the system that they're going to play. Because Gold Coast is a good example. They lost one of their most important players in Jade Progelli early in the season. Vivian Side comes in, plays that role beautifully. They didn't really feel the loss of Progelli. So it wasn't so much about personnel as it was about system and mm-hmm. everyone being aware on field of what their job was. And I, that probably goes for all three teams. It wasn't as much about the stars as it was about people were doing the right thing at the right time. Then on to the, the teams that probably just matched expectation, didn't go above, didn't go below. They just kind of were middling. First one is Carlton. Carlton had so much potential and it's, again, frustrating to see because in the first half of the year, everyone's like, oh, they've had a tough fixture. They've had this. That wasn't why Carlton weren't playing well. Carlton weren't defending high up the field in the first half of the season. It's as simple as that. And if you watch their games, they're the lowest tackle team in the competition, lowest tackle inside 50 team in the competition. They were just letting the ball come out the back too easily and their defenders were just under pressure all day. As soon as that switch flicked, which was the first half of the Frio game and then from that game onward, totally different side. They can match it with the best teams if they're willing to apply that pressure. And we saw that. So it's frustrating that we only got that in the second half of the year because they could have very much been contending for finals had that been a consistent theme of their year. Richmond, I think Richmond's injuries let them down. Monique Conti works very hard in that midfield. And when there's other people there supporting her, so a Sarah Hosking or an Ellie McKenzie having a good day, then they are very damaging out of the middle. Their forward line, Courtney Wakefield and and Katie Brennan taking big marks, very damaging. And then Cordner and um, Rebecca Miller and Sarah Darcy in defense. But as soon as a couple of those players went down with injury, they kind of lost the plot and reverted back to, we rely on a couple of people to do the the whole job. But then when some of those players came back, we saw the other team that what happened earlier in the year come back as well. So it's just like they were so close to being that improver until injuries felled them. They gave us some of the greatest highlights of the season. 
So some of their ball movement in, I think there was a game against St Kilda early on in the season where there was just that amazing passage of play. And we've seen so many exciting things from them. I think their future looks bright. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're not being able to cover injuries this year is probably symptomatic of probably not the best list build initially, which they're still trying to make up for two years later. That's where hopefully the other expansion teams that are coming this year are watching on and going, okay, if we get it wrong now, we're going to be paying for it for three years. And hopefully they're learning those lessons. Um, mm. So Richmond, they're getting there. They just don't have a deep enough list yet, but it will will be they get there soon. Are there any other teams you put in that same bracket? Yes, yeah, St Kilda is the other one. Their two best midfielders not playing this year through through various reasons. Tilly Lucas Rod goes in there. She's very tough, very contested, but maybe not as classy as um, Smith and Patrikios. So they had to s- kind of struggle to work out how to deal with that. And then St Kilda just weren't consistent throughout game. So they'd have a good half or a good three quarters, but never four, four full quarters. And that probably let them down a little bit. But they had a number of close games where they nearly got over the line and then they won a couple of those close ones. So positive signs going forward if they can keep the talented people on the park. Mm, look, I don't want to be negative, but there were two teams that probably didn't quite achieve what we thought they were going to achieve this year. How do you see the seasons of GWS and West Coast? GWS, I feel like I'm talking about a frustrating team in each category. I'm sorry about that. But we know what GWS can do if they take the shackles off, right? If they Mm. are willing to be creative they're willing to throw the magnets around a little bit. So we've talked about the win over the Western Bulldogs, plucky win because they didn't have X, Y, and Z player. And, you know, Nicola Barr goes forward and kicks three goals and this sort of stuff. And then, you know, the Geelong win, they didn't have Elise Parker. They didn't have Beck Beeson. They didn't have Chloe Dalton. Maybe not relying on those players to do the job for you every week is a good thing and it's forcing other players to play more creatively and in different ways. You would take those two players in your team every day of the week, but the mindset has to change when they're in the side. They can't be expected to, oh, they'll do that. I don't have to do that. We just saw a more freer GWS team when they were down a couple of really key players. So I'd love to see going forward them playing that free game when they do have those really talented players on the park as well. So it's finding that balance in mindset, I think, for GWS. And for West Coast, they got some really good draftees in. Yes, they did have to go on the road. Yes, they copped some health and safety interruptions. But I think they just didn't find enough contributors across the park. And then they were really confused about how they wanted to play their attacking line. So at times you saw... Oh, they want to play with speed. They want to run. So they empty out their forward line and want to run it in. But then at other times, they'll just all be standing stagnant in their forward line with no real option to kick to. So I don't think they're on the same page as to how they want to transition the ball. In the preseason, we saw them play a really great practice match where they were able to transition their midfield control, contested ball control into that attack on the outside, which we haven't seen them do before. So it's like, oh, maybe they, maybe that's clicked for them. And they didn't have the mountain of injuries this year like they did last year. Obviously, Ashling McCarthy going down is significant. But other than that, they didn't lose players for extended periods of time. They can't lean on that. I just don't think they're on the same page as a team yet. 
So what's the upside? They have some incredibly talented young players that I think they need to hand some responsibility to. They have another shot at a draft, a WA draft that, you know, is protected all except for one other team. So I think they need to really look at who their forwards are, what can their forwards do and where they can fill those gaps. Well, we might not have to wait long to see the next season, depending on when that lands. So before we move off this footy chat, I just want to ask you one more crystal ball question, and that is your prediction for who takes out the W Award this year. I was really excited to tell you this on the phone yesterday. I will die on the hill that Emily Bates should win that award this year. Oh, yes. That's a good one. Tell us why. What's your thinking? So she's, I think, third in the comp for average center clearance, uh, average clearances this year with 5.6. She's always been a midfielder, but she's taken that midfield role to a new level. She's averaging, I think, plus four or five disposals a game this year as well. And then she's also getting the ball inside 50 and hitting the scoreboard. So she's creating opportunities for teammates and also kicking goals herself. She's taken every aspect of her game to a new level this year. The only other player that I've seen do that this year is Hayley Miller. But the problem with Hayley Miller is she's got a teammate named Kiara Bowers that is probably going to get some votes every week mm. that she's polling votes. So I think Bates is probably in the poll position. Do you think that might also be um, the same case with Ash Riddell and Jazz Garner? I think that Ash Riddell gets a lot of the ball but still goes under the radar and probably won't get many votes. Mm. And North haven't played as consistently good football, so I can see their opponents getting a lot more votes against North this year. Okay. Well, you heard it here first, folks, <laughs> Emily Bates. <laughs> so maybe Brisbane might go back to back and also get a W award. Am I teasing the footy gods by putting that out there? I just want no more COVID interruptions and no big injuries. We just want a really fun final series and obviously for Melbourne to win everything. That's obviously what we want, right? <laughs> well, yes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jem, it's, you know, the end of the home and away. We've only got a few more weeks to go. I'd love to hear what your highlights have been both on field and off personally? Oh, wow. That's such a big question. <laughs> My highlight on field is probably going to sound ridiculous, but it's been Shelley Heath's year. Mm. Shelley Heath's year as a small defender has been one of the best I've ever seen, probably on par with Brie Conan's year last year for, for Brisbane. From what I understand, from what, what I've watched, she hasn't given up a goal to a direct opponent this year. She's done some really remarkable things on opponents that are much bigger than her, her same size she's so versatile in that respect I love defenders we know this so um Shelly Heath's year has been my on-field highlight for sure and I hope everyone is now more aware of that name because most people pre-season that I would say that name to are like who so yeah Shelly Heath amazing player all Australian I hope but we'll see what happens off field probably getting to do commentary has been really fun this year um, I've always wanted to be a special comments person for footy, men's and women's. Um, and ABC very kindly this year threw me a bone and took a risk with me, not being an ex-player or anything, but they gave me a shot. I got a couple of games at the start of the year and then must have done okay to keep getting the call back. So I've done five games this year, which has been really fun. Well, you did do okay because I tuned into a lot of those and it was <laughs> it was great. Was it what you expected? Yeah, I was so worried that... I would get to do it and then hate it because it's been this thing that I've wanted to do for so long and then it'd be ruined by 
not enjoying the experience. It was every bit as awesome as I had hoped. And that a lot of that has to go out to Joel Peterson, who um, I did every single call with and I've been working with closely through making the call and, and a lot of those programs. He's been incredible in terms of providing feedback, providing confidence, reassurance and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's been the best and and I hope they have me back next year and potentially on some men's games as well. So I'm going to keep harassing, harassing the ABC to give me more games. Just keep knocking down those doors, Jim. I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) This is the last season that you don't have your Sydney Swans in. So next time we have a season whenever that is you're going to see the Sydney Swans AFLW team run out how does that make you feel I'm losing my mind (laughs) (laughs) Um, obviously with the job that I have I need to remain impartial across the board which I think I do a fairly good job of but when the Swans run out it'll be pure four-year-old me excited because when I was four that would have been the greatest thing in the world to be able to play footy um, but it never crossed my mind that it was possible. Whereas now I'm just like, oh, I wish I was 16, 14, kind of preparing for that now. Um, but it's going to be so fun. And wherever the game is played, I will ideally be going and, you know, enjoying it. I'm thrilled that the Swans have, have gone with Scott Gowns as their head coach. I think he his hiring him is an indication that they're on the right track with the program, which I, I was – I'll be honest, I was a bit nervous about um, because we have seen teams maybe not quite set up their program very well in the past, but I'm thrilled. I'm excited. Sorry, Melbourne, you're number two now. (laughs) We'll move on from that. I think there'll be a little bit of moving around um, the deck chairs (laughs) for for a lot of fans um, as this happens. But as we say, we love everyone and um, our hearts are big so we can still hold hold a special place for lots of teams would you (laughs) agree yes absolutely like in the men's uh, Melbourne is uh, my soft spot team because my family all go for Melbourne so it will be hard for me to jump off completely also Daisy and and all those sorts of players Alyssa Bannon you can't go away too far from them right no unless they unless they choose to come to the swans as i often say they're all my children i love all my children (laughs) well jem thank you so much for joining us this week it's always an absolute joy to talk footy with you i absolutely love it thank you so much for coming on the fifth quarter this week Thank you for having me. I need to say that I wouldn't be in the position I am right now if it weren't for you and Emma and the the things that you did to make me realize that what I do now, what I've always dreamed to do is actually possible and not just a pipe dream. So I, can you please not edit this out? It's really important <laughs> that people know that it, without the two of you, I absolutely wouldn't be here. So it's really important to me that you get some recognition for that. Oh, Jim, you do all the hard work. You're amazing. So it's just great. And we are the beneficiaries of it because we get to read your pieces in a number of different publications. Siren Sport is an incredible platform that women's sport fans are just so lucky to have and all sports fans are lucky to have. We love hearing you in our ears doing special comments. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lucy. See you, Jim.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.